Up and at him in the morning. Live here. We have the one and only Wes Hagen in studio. Wes Hagen, what is up, my man? It has been a minute. Oh, man. I'm so glad to be back in the studio. I don't know if I've... Have I been back in the studio since the plague? I don't... I don't know. Have you been in here since We then? did that. We did the uh, Paso wine... Um, Hour oh, yeah. on the on the on a windy day in With, your backyard. Yes. Oh, that's right. No, no, we know that was that's Chris Toronto's thing. Yeah, you and I yeah. did we did the Where Wine Takes You podcast. Oh, okay. My podcast with Paso Wine. Nice. And that was uh remember my dog like did, like left the backyard? Kept kept it like four times. Yeah, like it was crazy. And I just listened to it again. Uh, I was just kind of, uh, kind of taking a trip down memory lane yesterday, and uh, lo and behold, uh, I actually listened to a good portion of that. Uh, and I thought we, uh, I thought it was, uh, it was well done. Thank I you. thought it was a great conversation. I got a lot of good feedback because we broke down like the eleven AVAs, and we broke down all kinds of different stuff. Uh, and, and you know what's so interesting with you is when we talk about these AVAs, especially as new ones come up, like we talked to the, our friends at Slow Coast Wine. Um, writing these, you are no stranger to. I mean, you've written some of the most popular AVAs of of late, uh, including, I mean, what Santa Rita Hills, Ballard Canyon, Happy Canyon, Happy Santa Canyon, Aliso, well Aliso's Canyons. That was the new one. Yeah. So, I mean, you know how this goes down, and it's uh, it's just a great conversation. That was all. My conversations are with you. Lots of changes. You're no longer with the same brand you were before. That's correct. Uh, after eight happy years, I left the Miller family in Biennacito, and now I'm working for uh, LXV Wines up in Paso. So I've actually moved after 30 years in Santa Barbara to uh, to work uh, up in Paso. And I commute up there from Orcutt, which is actually a really easy commute a couple times a week. Yeah. And then I'm down working with James Ontiveros, uh, Justin Willett, our winemaker at Native Nine Really? Wines. Yeah, it's extraordinary story. Um, I've got, you know, basically two great stories. One of, of immigration, right? I mean, of the Uncle yeah. family 10 generations ago, nine generations for James coming into uh, California even before it was in the United States. And then with Nita, and then with Nita and Kunal coming to the United States to, uh, you from know, India. to start their lives from India, you know, um, and their lives in the United States. And they've been so successful. And uh, I just, I love both brands for totally different reasons. Um, I think there's not a lot of overlap. So me being sort of estate hosts, uh, ambassador and helping him with sales uh it's fun it's fun it's a little it's a little crazy waking up in the morning juggling two brands but uh i'm enjoying every minute of it well that's cool because and they are so very different and unique to their own story which i think is really neat i'm a huge fan of both uh, Nita and kunal as well as james ontiveros yes and i yearn to understand and learn more about james's story my first time really meeting james he gave me a ride after a long night of um i think we had some drinks at a wine speak event and he gave me and jeremy they go right back to the Carlton to our room. He was just a super sweet guy. And then at, at World of Pinot Noir, the Santa Maria dinner, uh, I was fortunate enough to sit right next to him. And Lady I Fancy and I just had a great conversation with him throughout the whole dinner. I kind of remember um, you being a bit of a, a volunteer for that dinner. I think you were just kind of hanging out in the lobby. And finally, people said, yep, we got two seats. And uh, I think you just, you and uh, Jeremy just got right in. I was very I was very impressed with your creative procurement that night. Oh, yeah, it's very good. I'm always uh, up for an extra seat if there's, a, if there's a little more, especially at a World of Pinot Noir dinner. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is cool. So we're in a little bit different of, of a situation. This is fun. Also, we got two very unique brands yes. that we get to talk about. I feel they're both very lucky because one thing that you do is tell the story 
Wow, that is something that you are inherently good at doing. And I would say that, um, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, Nita and Kunal have the the stories are so beautifully uh, balanced in themselves. Um, James Ontiveros, amazing human being, probably done as much for Santa Barbara County wine quietly behind the behind the scenes as as anyone. Um, he uh, he's he's a humble dude. He was a, Cal, like a man's man, Cal Poly rodeo champion, that kind of stuff, dude. Like a, a steer exactly. roper. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to, you don't have to you don't have to front. You don't have to bring it because right. he he's got it. Uh-huh. And I, I love his quiet swagger, but sometimes the story needs to be told. Yeah, and the wines are so good, and they just need someone in the market, you know, screaming from the screaming from the uh, the hilltops that Justin Willett is making probably the best Chardonnay. In, on the west coast of the United well, States. Well, I know, I know that name. He's got some great wines. Tyler, Tyler, and Lou Deet yeah. are his uh, are his two brands. Tyler just uh, joined uh, two other Santa Barbara County winemakers uh, in the great um, hundred point uh, score race. Cool. Uh, his Tyler Chardonnay from Santa Maria Valley uh, got a perfect hundred point score in Doug Wilder's purely domestic wine report, which is a great, uh, great uh, wine magazine if you haven't seen it. And so, uh, and the Chardonnay in your glass right here, uh, the 2019 uh, Rancho Vinedo Native 9 Chardonnay was awarded 98 points. So, really? So I don't know. I don't, Beautiful. I don't know how to get from 98 to 100, but you know, you don't, I don't, and I don't know what a point tastes like. But, I know. Uh, you get them, you talk about them, and that's my job as the ambassador, but my gosh, I mean, is there anything Chardonnay. better than Santa Barbara County Chardonnay? No, it's, it's I mean, hard to beat. Pinot yeah. Noir be damned. I would say Chardonnay for me is the best grape we grow. Uh, really? I'm, I'm starting to think Cab Franc is starting to become one of my favorite grapes in Paso. Always love I, it. I'm a huge Cab Franc slut. I love a oh, good yeah. Cab Franc. I owe you a bottle. Uh, Nita wanted me to bring you a bottle of Cab Franc. I didn't have one in my library, but I, so I, uh, I hereby say on the air, I owe. Adam Montiel, a bottle of LXV Cab Franc Reserve. I will take it. You know what's interesting about Cab Franc? It's really one of these wines, and and I'll say this, and I would love for you to correct me because this is my impression. It's almost like Chardonnay in the sense where it's a real winemaker's wine. Like it's so, it's so versatile. I mean, like I've gone down down to the Los Alamos and tasted a Cab Franc with carbonic, you know, a little chill on it. Um, You can taste like the Patrimony Cab Franc, and it's just this. You know this big, sexy but balanced, you know, you know, luxury um, thing going off your palate. Uh, but Cap Frog is one of these ones that, when done right, and when the weather permits, and does you don't get a lot of wind and shatter and things messing with it. Um, what a beautiful and expressive grape, and the winemaker does play a lot in there. Yeah, yeah, I would say Chardonnay to me is like an editorial model. It's not so much about the model. The model should disappear. It should be about the clothes she's wearing Mm -hmm. and the place she is, you know, he or she is in. Um, I I put Cab Franc slightly on that level. I think Chardonnay is is a more malleable grape, depending Mm -hmm. on where it's done and how the winemaker handles malolactic and oak treatment. A Cab Franc, I think when you were saying that, I had a moment and this is great because Cab Franc Day is coming up December 4th at Cass Winery. There's still tickets available. It's going to be a global exploration. We're going to taste Cab Franc from all over the world and then end up drinking, uh, doing a table tasting of all the Paso Cab Francs. I think Cab Franc winemakers take a bigger chance than Cab Sauv. Cab Sauv is a commodity. You're going to make Cab Sauv you're gonna. You want to be in the world of Justin and Dow. You're gonna make it in a certain way because you know, or, you know, Austin Hope in that style that everyone's expecting out of Paso Cabernet Sauvignon. If you buy a bottle of Cabernet Franc, I'm just gonna say you're a little geekier than your normal Cabernet Sauvignon drinker. And if you're making Cabernet Franc, you're a little geekier than a Cabernet Sauvignon winemaker. So those type of geeky guys and women um, are 
obviously going to take more experimentation because it's it's it, it allows more experimentation because people who buy Cab Franc I think are a little more uh, willing to go out on a limb stylistically than people that are that are buying Cabernet Sauvignon because you know they want everyone at the restaurant to see that they're drinking Silver Oak. So Cabernet Franc, yes. How about a little? Uh, how about a little stainless steel or a concrete egg or a cavevery or extended maceration or, like you said, uh, done in a carbonic maceration? Uh, Non-mallow, make it more sort of in a kind of a, a funky kind of nouveau style. And then you look at the styles from all around the world, from the Loire, Borgil, Anjou, um, Chinon, uh, the right bank of Bordeaux and the left bank of Bordeaux both use Cabernet Franc to its greatest advantage. And the fact without Cabernet Franc, we do not have Merlot, Carmenere, or Cabernet Sauvignon because those grapes could not have existed without the genetics that Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc brought uh, to the to the hybrids that became those grapes. Mike Trop, I love that. Wes Hagen, and I love how you um, threw in the plug for Cab Franc there. We're actually going to have uh, Nita and Kunal in here to talk about that. And you're going to be doing, uh, this is December 4th. Yes. You're going to be doing a... Like a whole thing about Cab Franc. I'm doing the presentation with the maps, and what I'm going to be doing is introducing wines from all over the world, uh, from Villainy, Hungary, from, like I said, Loire, Bordeaux, uh, Chile as well, and, uh, and Napa. And so we're going to do six wines. We're going to talk about them just a little bit, open up a conversation, and then we're going to have a couple of uh, local Cab Franc stars, uh, Bill Gibbs from G2. and uh, Nice. Yeah, some folks talk about uh, Paso Terroir and what they think uh, Cab Franc brings to the table in the uh, 11 AVAs of, of Paso Robles. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to hang out with Wes Hagen. I'm going to try and get another revisit out of this 98-point Chardonnay from Native 9. Uh, it is 921. Wes Hagen, the one and only, is up and Adam in the morning. You're up and Adam in the morning. You're up and Adam in the morning. Thursday. Beautiful outside. We needed that rain, huh, Wes Hagen? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a little blustery out there, too. Uh, winds are blowing and it's cool. I don't think we had a fall. It seems like we went straight from sort of summer to uh, winter here. I know, right? Yeah. Wes Hagen is up and Adam in the morning. I could have done without that heat, though. Oh. And then the humidity, it's like a one-two punch. Then we get rid of the heat, and then all of a sudden for like three weeks, it's like stupid humid. Yeah. Well, normally what will happen, um, I mean, Labor Day, we always get the heat spike. And, yeah. and what we'll usually do is just get enough rain to just like knock the dust down and get the winemakers starting to worry. And then usually three to four days after that rain event, that's when we'll get the big heat spike. But uh, Labor Day heat spike, is all, you can almost count on it on the Central Coast. Yeah, for sure. We always get, uh, I mean, September is like... The hottest month for California. Beaches, October. A lot of people don't remember that. Beaches, hottest month, October. It's crazy. It's it's because the warm uh, warm water comes down from like Alaska yeah. uh, uh, around Point Conception, and just those three to four degree temperature rise in the in the ocean water fundamentally changes how high and low pressure systems come into into the Central Coast. Oh, uh, we went to Mexico for a vacation. I learned the difference between relative humidity and dew point. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you could, I was looking back at home at the weather. I'm like, oh, my God, 79% humidity at home. But when the dew point's 59 degrees, it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's when the humidity is at 77% and your dew point's at 78, 77 degrees. Yeah, that means you cannot be dry <laughs> no, as a human being. You no. cannot be dry. Dude, my body is not cut out for that, dude. I grew up in California, born and raised, so it's like you send me to Zihuatanejo that first week. I mean, man, it was just, we were having so much fun. And yes, you're swimming all the time, you're in the ocean. Yeah. But man, it's humid AF. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, 
So I, I live in Orchid, Santa Maria, and it's the best. It's the best weather on the planet Earth. We don't have air conditioning. We, we didn't break eighty degrees until Labor Day this year. Yeah, and it, you know, and this why it makes you know the great. The great, some of the greatest Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays because of the length of the growing season and the mild temperatures. And if I feel as a winemaker back when I was making wine at Clopepe or whatever, I was feeling like overwhelmed or something in September and October, I just get out my phone and look at the weather in Bordeaux or Burgundy <laughs> or Champagne. I'm right. like, oh my gosh, hail. Dogs and cats living together. One of the things I've always really admired about you, and you helped enlighten me too many years ago when we first started interviewing you, was just the idea of, yes, we're learning about this beverage, whether it be wine or you know, beer, spirits, whatever. But, yes, we're appreciating it. And the, the fire that you talk about these beverages is just, it's infectious and contagious. But... Um, this, the idea of coming to table and the idea yes. of using these beverages to get closer to people. Yes. Uh, how has coming to table, have you seen it change since the pandemic and or maybe some positives, some negatives? And, and where, what, what, what are some thoughts that, that arise as I speak of this? I would think, first of all, I think table saved many of us. Um, yeah. with our pods and our family. Um, I'm, I live with my wife. We don't have any kids. We have a couple dogs. So we had our own little, you know, cool pod and we were extremely careful because of my wife and, and my, um, health issues. So table saved us because we could spend an hour at table every night, you know, and I like to say a bottle of wine is an investment to keep the people we love at table for an extra hour every night. And I love beer. I love spirits. You know, my wife loves Coca Cola or whatever, but those are not the beverages that keep people at table. I like to say I drink beer standing up, I drink wine at table with food, and I drink spirits between table and the floor, or bed, depending <laughs> on the night. But I think every alcohol has a very strong uh, purpose, um, and the way that I think it changed is these pods during the pandemic, we're spending more time at table, drinking more wine. We saw that in wine sales. For sure. People were definitely drinking more wine. Oh, yeah. And um, enjoying it. And also, I think we've seen a fundamental change in the mindset of Americans coming out of the pandemic saying, I don't care so much about work. I care about the connections I was making with my family and eventually my friends uh, in the pandemic and after the pandemic. Now we're coming back to table. Now we are sitting across from people, and the first thing we're not, you know, we're not really thinking, I'm not thinking, is the person, you know, across from me, you know, safe? Am I going to get a disease from them? I know. Well, I I'm know. starting to really not worry. Oh, and, of course. And yeah. I'm quadruple, you know, vaccinated. Yeah, but I think I've been there for a while. Like, just like, I'm, well, look, look at some of the items that we saw become popular right after the pandemic. There were straight FUs to COVID, like fondue. Uh, of the shareable plates, punch bowls yeah. with your liquor. I mean, like you saw all these things. I remember going to High Water and uh, Steve McConnell was like, this is the ultimate FU to COVID. We're having fondue. There's a punch bowl right there. I mean, and, and yeah, you're right. And coming to table and, and yes, it, it, it's figurative. It's literal too, but it's like, uh, you're right. We just were so excited to have that again. I remember the first wine the maker, first winemaker I did, uh, dinner I did after, well, sort of, Post mid quasi oh end of COVID. I know. Um, you know, I, I welcomed everybody back to table and everyone actually stood up and clapped. And it wasn't for me, it was for the idea that we as people in wine culture recognize that wine culture is not just about wine. It's about how wine makes us right. feel when we're around other people. Um, yes. I remember nine years old, I was given my first sip of wine officially. I think I'd probably taken a couple tastes before that but it was an amazing wine given to me by um 
by a family friend, and I remember tasting it, and I remember it taking me someplace immediately. So I knew from the very si- first sip at nine that I was screwed. That that, really? that wine was really going to be something special. My brother tasted it too. That's so interesting because I hated it. Like it? Yeah, I, I hated it. And I, beer. I hated it both. I hated them both. I drank a full tall boy of beer when I was two years old. I, my dad was in a jacuzzi with a guy named Pierre in our neighborhood. This French guy. My dad was just finishing up at you know he was uh, in. Eagle Rock, California, and he cracked a fresh Tallboy Coors, and he had no idea, but I snuck up and I took it, and I drank the whole damn thing. Whoa! Yeah, and he what said, "Possessed you to do this?" I don't know. I don't know. I think I thought it was a, probably a soda or something. And he said, um, "He said I was so proud of you that you hold, held your liquor, you didn't puke, but for two hours you just pretended you were a car and went and just like went, just in circles around the backyard." Oh my god! Um, but uh, yeah, I was just like any good mammal in nature. I am attracted to the smell of fermentation. Well put. Thank Wes you. Hagen is here. Um, one thing I am attracted to, and that is the nose of a Santa Maria Pinot Noir. It is by far my favorite place. To uh, experience Pinot, like I just love the fruit that comes out of there. Whether it's whether it's like Solomon Hills or whether it's, uh, I mean, this fruit right here. Tell me about this vineyard because this is a beautiful Pinot Noir. So we have to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo back when James Ontiveros and Paul Wilkins were there. James was a fruit scientist and Paul was a winemaker in the enology program. They were good friends and they decided to launch Native Nine to celebrate James's. James's family has been in California since 1781. Nine generations. Not tenth generation if you oh, count his kids. Tenth. Okay, oh, got no, it. no, no, the kids are tenth. He just he has beautiful twins, and those are tenth generation Californians. Wow. So in 1781, Joseph Ontiveros came into Alta California from Loreto uh, with the expedition, the Reyes expedition, that ended up building the Pueblo in Olvera Street, L.A., and building oh, shoot and building the Presidio in Santa Barbara. What? And then going back down, getting a land grant. Running out of water, trading his land grant through a bunch of people, in, including the um, uh, the Olveras family and the Ontiveros family, and arrived in Santa Maria in 1855 on August 15th, which is the Saint uh, the feast day of Saint Mary. So named Santa Maria, Santa Maria as a result. So you know, my boss James Ontiveros, um, awesome dude, ninth generation Californio. Um, he, his family actually gave Santa Maria its name what and, and this vineyard is on his property that he planted in 1997 specifically to make wine with his Cal Poly friend, Paul. And then Paul made the wines, um, all the way up to 2015. And then in 2016, a uh, rockstar winemaker, Justin Willett came over and this is about in the time where Justin became really, really uh, kind of famous and popular for what he was doing with his Tyler wines and his Ludit wines. Um, and he had, uh, you know, he had made a lot of the wines at uh, Arcadian while he was there as well. But um, this vineyard, so it's what, 20, about 25 years old. So I think it's the 25th anniversary of the planting of this vineyard. So it's yeah, in its well. absolute prime. Um, and, Elegant wines. Oh, yeah. So we're all about place. We're about deliberation. I like to say the three words that describe Native Nine are deliberate, historic, and sublime. Mm. Yeah, just wines for people who get it. Wines for people who really want the wine to taste like a place and not necessarily the affectation of, of the winemaker. Although, this wine actually does ha- have a bit of stem inclusion for a uh, really? little whole cluster. Okay. But you know what, Adam? You know, for me and... The wine geeks out there will understand this, and maybe for the non-wine geeks, I'll have to explain it. But there's three things about wine that are like cheating in poker. One is volatile acidity, one is Britannomyces, and the other one is stem inclusion. And what do I mean by that? That cheating at poker, VA, Brett, or uh, stem inclusion, if you 
if it's obvious, you've gone too damn far. You always want to be have a, a subtle, subtle character in a wine if you That's want to so play those games. As far as stem inclusion, because I thought stem inclusion, you'd want to be able to taste that, but really you don't, I guess. I want it to be at the edge of perception. I want it to give yes. the wine savoriness, and I want it to remind me of uh, a florist shears. Flo flower oh, wow. sap. They're like, so good. Like flower sap. That's what I want to smell. If, if, if it goes broccoli slaw... You done be cheating at poker, and you you, yeah. you should be you should be ashamed. But yeah, if you want to play those games in wine, volatile acidity, which gives the wine at low amounts a little bit more lift in the nose, but with a lot, it can start smelling like a pickle. Uh, mm. Britannomyces, a little bit takes out the last little bits of non fermentable sugar and allows the wine to be more expressive in its youth. And of course, stem inclusion done correctly, it gives the wine some floral character, some complexity. But for goodness sake, if you take it too far, it's just like veggies in your glass. How do you know if you've taken it too far? Do you know by the, the, that vintage, or do you go? Do you have trials? You're like, okay, or, or or do you like pad your insurance it in a way? Like, hey, we're going to do a barrel with stem inclusion, a barrel with half barrel with not, then we'll blend them later. All of those, all of those should be taken into account. Um, I think you need to know your vineyard um, if you. You automatically, without really understanding vineyard, saying I'm going to do 100% stem inclusion on everything, every time, I think you're going to attract a certain stylistic um, uh, fan base. But for me, uh, you got to chew the stems when they first start coming out. Uh, Manfred Crankle, the legend is Manfred Crankle figured out a solution to this. Uh, lindified stems, if the stems aren't lindified, meaning brown and, yeah, and taste would. good, um, what he does is he destems his fruit completely, then puts his stems out on um, sterilized uh, tarps out in the sun in the parking lot. Get them brown. Sprays them with SO2, lets them brown, and then puts them back in like a chef adding, you know, you know, a, a dry rub to the steak, waiting for the wow. the character to go. And you know, if you're selling the least expensive bottle. Of wine in your portfolio for 300 bucks you got you got you got something going on manfred i love you baby that's so cool love what you do with those wines oh, so fun oh, wes hagan we're gonna come back with wes so oh, we're gonna wrap up the, the hour goes by so quick with wes i know one thing that you're always doing on your travels is you are picking up um fantastic craft beer yes let's talk about craft beer and lxv when we come back we'll do it coming up next it's up and adam in the morning it's thursday here i love the song Yes, I know, right? Big star, big fan. Wes Hagen, you've seen them 11 times? Yeah, I love Counting Crows. Adam Duritz, is, uh, he's, he's a great lyricist. And uh, if you don't know, um, Counting Crows is a lot like... I, I saw The Dead like 52 times. And one thing that Yeah, one thing I love about Counting Crows is every show is different. They mix up the set lists. And if you... Uh, there's a lot of uh, bootleg collectors, and there's a reason, because they never play the same song twice. Um, it's almost like Dave Matthews Band, or they're, they jam out, you know, and yeah. uh, I really like them. And there's another another band that I put in the same category called Guster out of the oh, East yeah. Coast. I'm, I'm a big fan of Guster too. Yeah. They, their sound live is incredibly soft and beautiful, really nice. It's a, it's a guy or are they? Is it a band? Oh yeah, Guster. Guster's a band. Yeah, they got together in Harvard. Oh really? I yeah, saw they were opened up for John Mayer back in the day. Like right as John Mayer blew up, yeah, Guster opened up for him. They're good stuff. It was good. It was really yeah, good. yeah, they're they're totally worth seeing if you ever have an opportunity. The one and only Wes Hagen is in studio. Um, it's so good to have you up and at him in the morning, man. And we just have to let not as much time pass before you are in here visiting again. This uh, Pinot Noir is absolutely gorgeous. Santa Maria Pinot, native nine. Uh, James Antiveros, his vineyard from back in the day, produces some elegant and bomb ass Pinot Noir. Um, but you, what I love about you is your um, you're a big fan of a craft beer, and in all of your travels throughout the country, you will always find and zero in on some really, really cool ones, and you always are great at bringing them back to share. 
Absolutely. Well, um, I was just down officiating a wedding in uh, in San Diego. I imagine you would be good at that. I had a really good time doing it. I've done two just recently. And, are you uh, funny? Are you like straight on? Oh, no, no, it's not it? about me. See, that's the thing that I really upset about some of my wed- some weddings that I've been to is it becomes about the priest or the or the uh, or, or the officiant really taking it to the audience about their philosophies on religion. My feeling is is love is love. It's about commitment. It's about growth. It's about and I try to bring something to it that is you guys are about to start uh, a journey where you're, you the best thing you can do is live up to the what the potential that your partner sees in you. If you want to get married, the whole secret of marriage is to try to become the best person that your mate sees. And if you're willing, and the way I see it is if you both feel like you're giving 150%, that's where the magic starts. So it's a very secular uh, service, um, and it, it mentions... Abraham Lincoln, it, it mentions uh, Descartes, it mentions, you know, just like, you know, just like uh, Carl married. Sagan. Oh, you, I don't want Carl Sagan mentioned in my wedding, for crying out loud, but you would be, I would have, I would consider you as an officiant for my wedding. Well, the only thing I said with Carl Sagan is he, he was asked one time, you know, if, if you were to say something as spiritual as you could say, what would you say? And he said, when you're in love, the universe notices. That's really cool. It's a nice light. That's a really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. I no, just thought no, you were yeah. fishing the wing. How cool is that? Uh, so I was in San Diego to do that and and to uh, help with my buddies uh, wine bar Vinicola Varga down uh, by the by the uh, bay. And uh, so I picked up a couple beers that I thought were incredible that were recommended. One from the Pure Project, which we had earlier, which was uh, the Pure IPA, which I honestly think um, is one of the great IPAs of California. And then my other big jam besides the pure project is society and that's society with an e at the end and i brought the one this is a beer folk unite and it is their uh, fuzzy method hazy ipa and um i think you know i don't get to drink many hazies because they have quite a bit of carbs and i'm a type 1 diabetic so i have to normally take uh, insulin for a beer like this but it's early enough in the day that i'm just doing this as, as breakfast in small amounts so i think the fuzzy method is actually quite delicious as well it really is and i'm a real big fan of the hazy ipas <clears throat> i love them and you know from someone who kind of got into beer late and really with the help of folks like you and the brewers that make some really world-class beer in our neighborhoods I've been able to just kind of learn about beer and get into good ones. And uh, both of these are fantastic. I'm not normally a, I like the East Coast IPAs because I like the more of the tropical use of the yep. hops, not yep. like the real bitter punches. But this pure IPA is not, doesn't hit you over the head bitter. It's beautiful. I think, I think you also should be looking for a beer called M43. I brought it to you. It's a beige can. It's uh, made in uh, Michigan. And, uh, and then of course, Treehouse and Trillium uh, are making oh, yeah. some of the best beers in the world. I wanted to make sure um, as we uh, get to talk a little bit about that beautiful LXV wine in your glass as well. And then also just um, remind everybody about on December 4th, Cab Franc Day, Paso Robles. And also I want to give two Paso brands that have changed my world in the world of alcohol since I started working up in Paso. First of all, love how Paso supports their winemakers and their wineries. Oh, yeah. Working with the, uh, and I love what well, Allison. Because you're a Santa Barbara County boy forever. And Allison and Phil are elevating Santa Barbara County wine, but Paso has always had it you know, a little bit more in the bag. Mm-hmm. And now I'm understanding the teamwork that goes on there, especially Dude. with Chris and everybody. I just, I feel so welcome there. And two things that happened to me just in the few weeks I've been working up in Paso. Number one, uh, I was introduced to Chuck Silva's beer at Silva Brewing. And just, let me just say that West Coast Pills was a mind-blowing 
sort of life-changing beer. So thank you, Chuck. That was delicious. And I like eat. him. He's a fun guy to interview, too. Did you bring that, too? I did. Sweet. And then um, uh, the other thing is uh, I just went to uh, uh, Tiki Tony's new, brand new um, uh, Speakeasy Remedy yes. at Alchemist. Uh-huh. Oh, dude. Did it melt you? Is it that good? Oh, dude. Twelve people, four bartenders. Oh, my God. It was... It was I don't do cocktails. They're like, why don't you do cocktails? I said, I love the taste of alcohol. I love, I, I don't want to ruin a great gin by putting something else in it. I want to taste what the, dist, the distiller did. Sure. For and they're like, you're missing the whole point. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was making, and uh, Tony and his crew, uh, Tony Troy, uh, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. And Troy and uh, uh, Troy Tucker and uh -huh. all his they crew. They kill it up there. They just, and I mean, the, the room, the leather, um, the smoke, the mirrors, the like molecular oh, I stuff. Here. I gotta check it out. Oh, dude! I mean, they did a deconstructed Negroni with um, uh, with uh, oh, not Aperol. Uh, with the um, Campari was actually turned into caviar. Campari caviar. So you take a bite of Campari caviar, then you have a sip of the gin. Stop it! That's been in a Weller barrel for like ninety-five days under pressure with argon. These oh my freaks. God. Freaks of the cocktail culture. It's almost like what like Ricky's doing at Six Test Kitchen, but with drink. Kinda, yeah. And you know, I mean, drinks between thirteen and thirty-two bucks. I mean, you're going to spend a hundred bucks on three drinks. Damn. Get used to it, yeah. and you're going to tip those guys because uh, just unbelievable. And uh, to make the transition, uh, Nita and uh, Kunal uh, took um, myself and Jeff Strakas, the winemaker. Oh, uh, I love Jeff. So we all got together and just uh, had a couple cocktails and oh, some food cool. at at, uh, at uh, Alchemist and uh, they made a night out of it and they wouldn't take my money. So thank you. Uh, thank you to LXV oh, so cool. for their hospitality. Well, it's fun. I mean, first of all, I love Nita and Kunal. It's cool that you're working with the brand and um, I'm excited for you about that. I love that this Cab Franc there, we're going to have Nita and Kunal. They're going to be bringing some different Cab Francs from all over and we're going to be chatting with them at the beginning of next week on this so cool december 4th it's a sunday yep and i love when paso takes a varietal because paso grows 40 to 50 varietals to world-class levels and when we can take a one that we might not see all the time buy all the time have a lot of familiarity with and we can really dive deep and get into it cab franc we're doing it december 4th yeah that's right and if you want to read a little bit more about it go to lxvwine.com go to the blogs i wrote about a 1500 word uh um, history of Bordeaux varieties in Paso Robles. Talked to a lot of great, uh, great winemakers and great people out there, and we look forward to doing that. And then, um, obviously, uh, we've, uh, I am adding on on, uh, Fridays and Saturdays. We're doing special tastings at LXV. I'm taking people on a one hour vineyard walk, uh, combined with a tasting and also food and wine pairing events where you're going to get to taste lots of food with, uh, LXV wines. Both of those experiences are available, um, through the website at lxvwine.com. I think it's also like Cab Franc Day. Yeah. Paso or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can just, or you can look that up too. But there's also a link to all the Cab Franc Day stuff at LXV. Sweet. Are you, do you feel you are better at speaking and communicating a point or writing it? I don't think I've ever read your writing. What do you think you're better at? I thought you were going to ask winemaking or wine selling. And I was going to say wine selling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a good winemaker, but um, I, all my people are teachers, preachers, and lawyers. And the th thing that's the same about all of us is we stand in front of a group of people and convince them to do the things that they would not do by themselves. Sure. Coffee wives and God all help us do the things we should be doing without them. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I would just say that, you know, uh, I feel like I am a better speaker. 
um, because I probably don't have enough patience to chisel my writing to the point of like a Hemingway or, you know, or even be really good at making a long-winded thing like Faulkner. So, speaker, um, so speaking comes easier than, say, writing. Yeah, I, I feel like a combination of a few things, being a, a geek when I was a kid, my dad being my high school principal, made me oh. actually have to be a very... Uh, outgoing, fun person, and then playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was nine years old, operating as a dungeon master, running a running a sort of a, a whole world and keeping the players interested. I learned what keeps people looking at me. I learned what gets people attached to what I'm saying, and I'm also very good at remembering what gets the attention from an audience. And I will make sure that you know I'll run those greatest hits, and then always try some new material. I think speaking like wine is a lot like doing stand up comedy. Comedy. You know, you read the room, you get a sense of what these people want, and then you deliver, and in the end, you try to teach them something. You know it's a good guess when the time goes by far too quick, and you don't want it to end, and you just want to keep going. So we're going to take a sip of that Silva uh, brew. I mean, literally, it's 9.59. I've got to get out of here. I still have spots to play. Uh, but I, So I love you, brother. It's so Thank great you. to have you in here. Uh, I'm, I'm around all the time. Good. We're going to get you back you in here uh, more, more regularly. Uh, Wes Hagen, the one and only, he's with Native 9 now, also... LXV, and uh, just a great to come in and chat about everything from beer, wine, life. It's it's Wes Hagen. Can I give uh, 10 seconds? Just uh, if, you, if you want to do a tasting uh, at uh, Native 9 or you want to contact me about a tasting at LXV, it's Wes Wines, W-E-S-W-I-N-E-S -E -E at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for being up and Adam in the morning, bud. Up and at them. Up and Adam in the morning. <laughs> With Adam Montiel. Weekday mornings, 6 to 10 a.m. The Crush 92.5, the perfect blend.